Welcome to Evolve to Succeed, the podcast that brings together entrepreneurs, founders, business leaders, and experts to talk about their journeys and explore the link between personal and business success. I'm your host, Juan Munson, founder of Evolve, a coaching, training, and development company focused on enabling business and personal success and creating a community of like-minded individuals. Whether that be through our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, our training and development programs for you and your teams, or through our content and events, our mission is to get the best out of each individual and inspire them to be better both in life and in business. If you want to learn more about Evolve, including our beautiful co-working space in Ashley Cross in Paul, then please go to evolvemembers.com where you'll find great content, insights, details of all of our services and also information on our forthcoming events. For now though, let's get on with the show. Welcome to this week's episode. Today I'm going to have a look at three articles from the Evolve blog that I think are worth discussing in greater depth and length. For our newer listeners, these article reviews are something I like doing every few months because we've got some great content on our website, evolvemembers.com, and part of our mission as Evolve is to inform, inspire, and drive your business and personal growth with the content that we release on a weekly basis. On this episode, I'm going to cover three written articles entitled Why Founders Often Fail as CEOs, Is Your Mindset Stopping Your Growth, and Here's How to Sacrifice Better. I hope you agree, three fascinating subjects. So let's get started. So first up, we have the article written by entrepreneur Jan Cavell about why founders often fail as CEOs. That relationship between being a founder and a CEO has always intrigued me. Both require different mindsets and skills, and one of the more difficult tasks as a founder faces is finding a CEO whom he or she feels truly understands the business and whose principles align with their own. As a result of these nuances, the founder-CEO relationship usually goes one of two ways. They end up working in perfect harmony with a kind of intuitive understanding that drives the business forward, or it simply doesn't work at all. In the latter instance, the fallout can not only be inconvenient, it can burn bridges and threaten the health of the company and really affect the culture of the business. It's for this reason that founders are either really reluctant to get a CEO on board or take a very long time filtering out and finding the perfect candidate. Of course, as a founder, it's likely there'll come a time when you need a CEO. In fact, it's a very good sign if you need a CEO or managing director because it means your business has grown to such an extent that you need another person to take the helm while you focus on all the other things that come with growth. And you can remain entrepreneurial while somebody is there to lead the business operationally day to day. But as any founder or entrepreneur will acknowledge, Our businesses are more than just businesses to us. They're like a child, a thing that you've put your heart, soul and time into and want to see flourish and remain healthy. And this is the scary part about employing a CEO or managing director. You're handing over some control and influence to someone else. And if they don't understand your vision and you're not properly invested in it, things can go wrong. In the introduction to our article, Jan writes about how we often describe our businesses as our babies. But Jan also makes his other observation about founders and their businesses. And this is, 
I think they're also the other half of a madly, truly, deeply love affair. And as we're being in love, we don't have any choice about it. We have seen the object of our love in our mind's eye and set about creating the perfect environment for it to take hold and prosper. But Jan continues, Being in love passes, and so it is with founders and their businesses. Over time, the relationship changes. Over time, other interests come back into your life, a routine kicks in, the novelty is worn off. You have looked at the figures and solved the team problems again and again, and as you've done that several times over. You may still love it, but you're not in love anymore. And I think this is a great analogy. And Jan takes it further when she states that a CEO or an MD may love, but are not in love. This therefore makes them much more rational in their approach because their decisions are not based on an emotional attachment to the business. Instead, a CEO sees the reality, both the good and the bad, and is thus in a better position when it comes to making important decisions. Jan continues, CEOs need satisfaction in what they do. However, it's not all about the business and not all about the company. Just as with loving, not everything comes a, becomes about the person you love. Instead, it's about how the CEO feels as a result of that relationship and how the stakeholders feel about the results within the company. It becomes a partnership. The downside is that loving relationship requires work to keep it going. It needs fuel and attention as opposed to the effort, crazy in love days. Loving someone or something requires effort and commitment. As we all know, sadly, it doesn't matter how in love you might be, there's no guarantee that the relationship won't end in a breakup. Jan cites several instances where founders have either clashed or even been replaced by the CEO. There's the Travis Kalanick from Uber, Jack Dorsey from Twitter, and perhaps the most famous of all, the on-again, off-again relationship that Steve Jobs had with Apple. In her conclusion, Jan describes the ideal combination of founder-ceo by relaying Steve Jobs' history with Apple. She writes, Many colossal success stories that inspire other entrepreneurs are about founders who succeeded in transitioning into becoming the CEO. Those are the ones who take their romance to a long and happy marriage. Perhaps the reason Jobs made that transition so successfully is how he worked at change and self-development. He worked at learning how to be a CEO, but it was also always clear that he never lost his first love and his passion for Apple remained to the end. He took the best from being both in love and loving and sprinkled them with some unique magic and ensured the relationship lasted his lifetime and the legend of it survived beyond. I'm sure you'll agree that sounds like a dream scenario. We quite often have MDs, CEOs of entrepreneurial founded businesses on the podcast. And there is a great recent episode, if you haven't heard it, where Craig Mathy, who is the managing director of Bournemouth Sevens, talks about his relationship as MD of that business with the founders of the business. So go catch that episode for a bit more inspiration if you're thinking about what are the implications of introducing an MD or CEO to my entrepreneurial owner-managed business. The next article I'm going to look at was written by Ollie Phillips and is entitled, Is Your Mindset Stopping Your Growth? Anyone who knows me knows that personal development is a passion and priority of mine. Not only am I committed to the benefits of learning new things and challenging myself, 
Our dedication to personal development is part of what drives our peer groups. And it is also something I've always been keen to embrace and support within the teams I've led. One of my mantras with the teams that I lead is that everybody in the business needs to have a growth mindset. Now, one of the greatest assets for any founder is a team member who from the outset displays a desire to further themselves and wants to be challenged with new tasks and responsibilities. Personal growth, however, requires dedication, sacrifice and habit creation, things that many people struggle to maintain. And we've all been guilty of this waning commitment at some point or another, whether it's something like pursuing a new hobby or trying to change your diet. But I'm sure all of you listening to this podcast have also experienced the pleasure of challenging yourself with some difficult task and then succeeding. When this happens, you feel like you've broken through to a new level of understanding about yourself and indeed your limits. But why do we find something new so challenging? In his article, Ollie takes the two most common factors as being fear and laziness and a lack of motivation. But by recognising these traits in yourself and learning where they stem from, you can learn to overcome them and become more dedicated becoming what Ollie terms a lifelong learner. Of these benefits, he writes, Being a lifelong learner can cause long-term alterations in the brain areas related to attention and concentration. People who learned a new skill over a three-month period exhibited an increase in their long-term memory, according to a study by Denise Park of the University of Texas at Dallas's Center for Vital Longevity. Lifelong learning will boost your confidence. When we realize how capable we are of learning something new, we gain confidence in ourselves, especially in situations where we may lack prior expertise because we know we can always learn. As a result, we'll be more motivated to learn new things and open ourselves to new experiences. Lifelong learning will help you find new growth opportunities, both in your personal and professional life. When we adapt a lifelong learner mindset, many of our beliefs and behaviours will also change. For example, suppose there is a new skill that will allow you to opt for a new opportunity, whether it is a promotion, a new job, or even an increase in your salary, in your current position, by willing to learn whatever it's required, we're allowing ourselves more opportunities in life. In short, a conscious dedication to lifelong self-improvement ensure we become the best version of ourselves both at home and at work, and both physically and mentally. But as mentioned, this kind of dedication can be challenging. So Ollie lists five things you can do to alter your mindset. These five things are, one, switch your thoughts. Ollie writes, we're starting to realise how significant our thoughts are, and even better, we realise that we can change them. So if you want to change your thinking, start paying attention to the negative thoughts that arise when you're confronted with a new learning challenge and replace them with positive ones. Two, take into account the opportunity cost. Whatever decision you make, you're missing something else, Ollie writes. So the next time a new learning opportunity presents itself and you start making excuses, consider what you might miss out on if you don't master that new talent. At this point, Ollie cites the example of business owners and managers who have pushed back against the new hybrid working model. 
He says that their refusal to adapt will have consequences not only for themselves, but for their company, because they'll likely lose their best talent to more flexible companies, and they'll also struggle to bring new talent into an environment that seems backward. Ollie's third recommendation is to replace your lack of interest with curiosity. He writes, not everyone is interested in the same topics and a lack of interest will certainly make learning more challenging, if not impossible. If you don't have a choice, for example, learning a new CRM system at work, try to spark your interest by identifying other advantages associated with the learning. To use the CRM system as an example, you may not be interested in it now, but consider how much time you'll have once you've learned it and you've implemented it to do other things you prefer. The fourth tip is to embrace the unknown, which is difficult for us humans because we are biologically programmed to be wary of unknown outcomes. It's part of that survival instinct. But of course, it creates a block in the modern world where we don't have to consider whether there could be a lion around the next corner. So train yourself to push through this fear by looking at uncertainty with a sense of excitement rather than trepidation. Ollie's final pointer towards enhancing your growth mindset is to accept your vulnerability. He writes, One of the main reasons for not learning new things is that we don't want to look like beginners or look like a fool. All of these are linked to our fear of being vulnerable. However, showing vulnerability has more benefits than we may think. For example, if you're a leader, showing vulnerability within your team can increase creativity, innovation and collaboration. No one is perfect and seeing our leader as a person who doesn't know everything gives us the courage to admit mistakes ourselves, to speak up about new ideas or to ask questions that can enhance our results. So the next time your mind tells you about the negative aspect of vulnerability, you can switch these thoughts and replace them with all those positives outcomes you may gain from it. final article we're going to go through today is entitled How to Sacrifice Better, written by our very own Evolves Oliver Roberts. I think we can all acknowledge that anything worth doing requires sacrifice. If you want to excel at something, you're going to have to make some compromises. Unfortunately, there is simply no way around this. And as any founder, entrepreneur, business owner or leader will attest, starting and running your own business or organisation asks you to make sacrifices that you could never have conceived of when you started that journey. Definitely something that I relate to. Whether it's the demands on time spent with your family and friends, having to cut back or even completely stop certain hobbies and pastimes, and unless you're very, very disciplined, there are sacrifices you'll make on your mental and physical well-being as well. However, I think that as we become more experienced and a little wiser, we learn how to sacrifice better. Of course, this isn't always possible. When you're starting a new venture or things get challenging, keeping the business afloat is inevitably going to require some extra hard sacrifices from you. But this is hopefully will only be a temporary thing. But when things are relatively stable, it's vital that we constantly assess the sacrifices we're making away from the business and tinker with those sacrifices to make sure we're not over-sacrificing or under-sacrificing, if that makes any sense. It's about balance. Oliver writes, the question is, what do you sacrifice? This is something you really should sit down and consider, 
Because too many entrepreneurs, when wrapped up in the excitement and stimulation of starting a business, can either end up sacrificing too much or sacrificing the wrong things. The result? Losing important relationships, missing potentially memorable moments, burnout, and being left in the unenviable and silly position of achieving your personal dreams but feeling miserable and lonely. Not good. Not good at all. Then he concludes, One way to stop this is to get conscious about your sacrifices. Write down, in order, what you're willing and not willing to sacrifice to stay on your path and ensure your journey and destination are pleasant and harmonious rather than ruinous. Oliver then poses two questions. Ask yourself, when writing these things down, you're willing or not willing to sacrifice. The first is, what do I value? How do you assess what you truly value? Oliver says you should ask yourself these things you'd miss if they were taken away from you and don't think too much about it because they'll defeat the purpose of the exercise. The things that you first flash into your mind are likely going to be the things you value most. Why don't you try that now? Just pause. Take a few seconds to reflect on those three or four things that you'd really miss if you didn't have them. What did you come up with? And I just thought, as I was you know, recording this podcast, I'd come up with some of the things for me that I would miss. They are family, health, having time to create opportunity and the ability to have fun along the way. So knowing these things that you truly value while also knowing you're going to have to sacrifice them in some way from time to time or in some way or another, Oliver suggests taking this to a further stage with the following. When considering what to sacrifice, write down the 10 things you most value in the order of their value and see if you're able to portion more time to the top ones and less to the others. Of course, these things we place value on change over time so that you prioritise will change with it. So take time out every so often to reassess what you value and how you plan to keep them solidly in your life while still pursuing your business ambitions. The second question is a big one. And honestly, it's probably the question I ask myself most often. And that is, how can I make more time? Yes, I know we're all proportioned the same number of hours in the same number of days. But I think you'll agree that sometimes or often, it doesn't really feel that way. Think about how many times you've started a day with all the good intentions to complete specific tasks and attend to all of your appointments. And not even halfway through, you look at the time and you just know you're not going to fit it all in despite that careful diary planning. Of course, this doesn't just apply to our work days. Whether it be our weeknights at home, weekends and holidays, there is often this feeling of wanting to do things to make the hours meaningful. But in the end, we inevitably end up with this sense of not having quite fitted it all in. There's no doubt that this is simply the way life is and that we'll ultimately never all have the time we want for everything. However, Ollie suggests there is a way to, in a sense, buy more time for yourself without having to stretch yourself to your limits or even compromise on those valuable things we've just spoke about. And really, this method for buying time is not complicated at all. In fact, it's very simple. Get up an hour earlier. It seems so self-explanatory, and yet it's not something that immediately jumps to mind as a solution to the problem of not having enough time. Oliver writes, 
Use that extra hour to indulge in one of those things you value but sometimes have to sacrifice. Going to a gym or for a bike ride, reading, meditation, etc. Not only will you start the day feeling refreshed, you'll seem to gain an extra hour once work is finished to spend on more valuable things like having dinner with your family or going for a walk. And I think that important aspect of what Oliver writes is doing the thing that you would have to sacrifice if you didn't get up early. Just getting up earlier and starting your day earlier and going through the routine isn't something, in my opinion, that would work. It's a bit like that whole 5am club where you just do the routine. Do something that you really want to do and you really love to do. For me, you know, one of my four things was health and the way I try and keep healthy and keep refreshed is getting out into nature and getting out on my bike and riding my bike. And in the summer, I love the early mornings. I can do this three or four times a week. And it just makes such a difference to my day when I get out there and I do that. In addition to getting up an hour early, Oliver suggests scheduling your sacrifices so you don't have to compromise on those things you really value. For instance, do some extra work once everyone has gone to bed. Spend some money and or employ someone to lighten your load. Learn to delegate, the one I really always struggled with. Skip TV time for a session at the gym or a run. Turn down a social event you don't really need to attend and use that time to catch up on that work that you might have had to do at the weekend instead. These are all great ways to manage your time better so that you can move closer to that sense of balance that so many of us desire. Oliver concludes, Achieving anything worthwhile is always going to require sacrifice, but there are ways of doing that in clever, considered ways so that it often doesn't always have to be a direct trade-off between work and life. Simply put, work out what doesn't matter or add value to your life and replace those with the things that you do. So, sounds so simple, doesn't it? But really it is, isn't it? It's about prioritisation. And I think, you know, Ollie's right. Start with that list. Make sure you prioritise with the things that are most important and create the time that you need. Thank you for listening to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My hope with every episode is that you've learned something new or heard something that challenged your way of thinking and further motivated you on your path towards becoming a more knowledgeable, informed and inspired individual and business leader. If you enjoyed this episode, then please help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing. We really value your feedback and would love to have you along for future episodes. And please don't forget to learn more about Evolve by going to evolvemembers.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week.